I don't believe in no one's scenarios. Data, 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 I cannot make bricks without clay. I don't know where you get your delusions, laser brain. Hello and welcome to another Cheeky Scientist radio show. This is Isaiah Hinkle. And today we're talking about interview questions that reject PhDs or that get PhDs rejected uh, in the later stages of their hiring process, which is not ideal. Um, many of us don't think about how hard it is to get to those final stages. Uh, sometimes we get lucky, uh, for lack of a better word. We upload some resumes, we make a connection, there's a referral, all of a sudden we have a phone screen. Um, this happens early on for many people. Call it beginner's luck again, for lack of a better word or phrase. Uh, but if you get to that stage, you need to know that it is very rare, especially during a recession, and exactly what you say, even how you respond to the question, how is your day today? How you respond certainly to the question, tell me a little bit about yourself, will affect how the rest of that interview goes. Um, some questions that you are likely to be asked for PhD level jobs that many PhDs are unprepared for and lead to rejection and lead to that very uncomfortable, awkward, frustrating phase of not hearing back after a phone screen, not hearing back after a video interview or worse, a site visit, which is common. And it happens because you don't ask the right question at the end of the interview. You don't get them to set expectations of when you should hear back. We're going to cover all of this in today's show. So what are some common questions that PhDs are asked specifically from the phone screen stage, the video interview stage, and, and onward through to the site visit? Why do you want to leave academia? The incorrect answer is because you're tired of begging for funding, as true as that might be, or you're tired of the abuse or of being treated poorly by your PI or professor. You're tired of being overworked. All of these are incorrect. What you need to do is show an understanding of industry. There is a great figure that we've posted in some of our blog articles and referred to on some of our live webinars from a, a study done by Dow Chemical of PhDs. Uh, PhDs are coming out of academia. What is the number one thing they wish that PhDs had more training in or the number one transferable skill? And you know what it is? Understanding of industry. Simply an understanding of industry. What does that mean though? It sounds like a general term. It means that you get that industry is different than academia. You get that they have more team-oriented milestones. Uh, they manage projects uh, much more attentively, much more aggressively. The timelines are shorter. Uh, the the, the cross-functional collaboration that will occur uh, is required. You need to be able to get things done with people you have no authority over. Now, you can do this, but you have to explain to them, you get that when you get on board, you're going to be required to achieve certain results. And you're going to have to respect the hierarchy of communication within that company and with that, in that overall sector of industry. So when they ask you, why do you want to leave academia? What you need to show them is that you're ready to leave academia and never come back. You understand what you're getting yourself into. In fact, everything that you've done has prepared you for industry. You went to academia to prepare for your career in industry. You've already taken steps to develop business skills and move into industry. 
This isn't some decision you're making on a whim. It's not one of many different options. You need to get out of that academic mindset by showing certainty, by giving them a sense of certainty. And I'm going to spend some time on this because overall, across the board, the reason that PhDs fail, get rejected, misstep during the interview stage is because they do not demonstrate certainty for the position. They are still exploring all of their options. They're trying to play it cool. They don't want to act too excited about the position at hand. All of this tanks your chances of getting hired or making to the next step in your interview. As an employer, you want to know that the job candidate sitting across from you wants this job very, very badly. Not that they're desperate or needy, but they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. They understand the job, the role, the position, what's going to be required for them. And they really want to work at that company. They really want to work for that company in particular over any other company, at least for one reason. Now, you might be thinking, I I can't show that kind of certainty because it would be uh, not true or I am entertaining other options. That's fine. But there's got to be a reason that you're applying to this company and you have to find one. You have to invent one. Okay. What do I mean by that? Every company has pros and cons. Every company out there, there's going to be something that they do very, very well or that you like about them the most, more than any other company. Identify what that is and tell that company, I want to work here more than any other company because of this reason. Now, you're, you're going to be entertaining offers. It doesn't mean that you're not going to negotiate a, a salary contract, but you want to give them a level of certainty to where they know if, that you, if they extend a salary offer, you're going to seriously, very seriously consider it. Again, it doesn't mean that you're not, not going to negotiate. It doesn't mean on your end in the background, you're not going to go back to previous uh, people you've discussed or other employers who might have given you an offer and tell them about that offer. It means that you are seriously considering this role. You're reducing risk. And during a recession, this is the most important thing you can do. Show enthusiasm and engagement for the role, no matter what country that you're in. That's why I'm using the word engagement. You're not showing desperation. You're not being rah, rah, and uh, being over the top in any way. But you have to show engagement. If you can't even show engagement and enthusiasm during the interview, you know what they're thinking? This person's not even committed or excited now before they're hired. What's going to happen to them in a year? They're going to be bored out of their mind. They're going to leave. That's the biggest risk to, to an employer is that you're going to leave after they've invested thousands of dollars in you. And on average in US dollars or you know, whatever the conversion is for your currency in your country, it's about $60,000 to hire and onboard a PhD level candidate. So this question you will get and you must nail it. Use this as your opportunity to tell them you're ready for industry. Everything you've done has prepared you for this job and you're certain that you would be the perfect fit for this role and that you want to work at this company. You've been preparing to work at this company. You're ready for it. You can't wait to get an offer and to accept it. That's the level of certainty you need to have. And you can do that while also negotiating or knowing that you're going to negotiate the finer points of the agreement. Another question, what do you know about our company? As a PhD, you need to work a bit harder to answer this question. You need to do more research. You need to find the company's page, not just read the front page, but take it to the level of intensity in terms of research that you do for your thesis work, where you go to a library and you look up old books uh, that aren't online, that you go and use uh, you know, 
the old uh, copy machines, right, at a library. Surprised that those even exist. Um, who, who are using them? Uh, PhDs who are going into the, the annals of the annals of the annals, who are going down a rabbit hole on PubMed to look at the references on a reference on a reference. That's the level of research that you need to do for a company. And you can do that because most things about a company are online. You can do that in a day, likely in half a day. Dig deeply. Look at press releases about that company. Do extensive Google searches about that company. Look at the mergers, the acquisitions, the restructurings. Try to find out why that position is opening in the first place. Listen to earnings calls, previous earnings calls, which are usually recorded and put online for publicly traded companies so that you can answer this question deeply. You can show knowledge of different aspects of the company, uh, about their industry, their products, their mission, their branding, competitors, even investor and financial knowledge. Another question you will be asked, how do you prioritize your work? In other words, how do you get things done? This is where you want to talk to them about understanding the importance of managing time, budgets, milestones, and the quality of your work. Show them that you understand how to get things done. You understand how to get long-term projects done. You understand how to work cross-functionally with people. And you understand this very simple one, two-step process of every project, prioritize, execute. Prioritize, execute. They're looking for an answer that discusses your ability to communicate with stakeholders in a project. So you communicate with stakeholders, and that's how you set your priorities. You communicate with management, and that's how you set your priorities. Show them that you know how to get things done in industry. Another question Describe a time when you had to manage a conflict. This is a type of behavioral interview question, which we will be discussing in more detail shortly. What you need to show in your answer is that you can take responsibility for challenge. You can take responsibility for something that didn't go well. The worst thing you can do is say, well, I had a very difficult manager or there was this grant deadline or a paper deadline. It wasn't my fault. We didn't have the resources, et cetera. Anything where you're shifting blame is a huge red flag. Instead, bring up something that was your fault, at least in part, or something you could have done better. And then talk about the lesson that you learned. We're going to go into the framework of answering these questions soon so that any any question you get, you can immediately put into four different types of questions, one of those four categories, and then answer it using a methodology that we are going to discuss. Another question, what makes a good manager or leader? So this is where you want to talk about having good transferable skills, not just good technical skills. That's what they're looking for when they answer ask this question to a PhD. Do you understand that the most technically sound person is not always the best manager or leader? You've likely experienced this in academia. Somebody who's highly skilled technically, but is not an easy person to talk to, not an easy person to communicate with, and you just wish that they would communicate or had better leadership skills or were able to convey what their expectations were. Speaking of expectations, another question, what are your salary expectations? You will get asked this on a phone screen. Absolutely. You need to be ready for it. In fact, you were likely asked it when you uploaded your resume online. Your answer needs to be something along the lines of considering all reasonable offers. That's a great place to start. They're going to challenge that very likely. Any reasonable offers will be considered. They might say, what's a reasonable offer? You can come back with, well, I'm a student or I'm leaving academia for the first time, or this is, you know, you have much more experience 
in this company or hiring into this role. I'll defer to you on that. Right now, I'm really concerned with whether or not I'm a good fit for the team and learning more about the team and, and learning more about the experience that I'll gain and, and really the metrics of my success. Show them that money is not even on your mind now. Early in the interview process, the phone screen, the video interviews, just deflect, deflect, deflect. You want them to give you the first offer. What do you do in your free time? This is where you want your personality to shine through, but don't talk about solitary activities. Talk about team-oriented activities, volunteer work, things you do with others, likely or hopefully outside of your specific technical domain knowledge, outside of your PhD background, outside of being in the lab or the classroom. Why our company? Another very common question. This is a great opportunity to align your values with theirs. Show them how something that the company does or, or, or what the company values is also what you value. And that should be true. Look at the company's values or mission. What about your desire to help humanity is coming out and what the company is trying to do in terms of their mission or their values or their strategic corporate goals? Other questions that you will be asked, why should we not hire you? It almost sounds like a double negative, right? But they're just reframing the question to throw you off, to make it a little bit more challenging. And this question in particular is a favorite among employers right now during the recession. Why should we not hire you? You want to take, in a sense, the higher ground here. If they're not able to live up to your expectations uh, in terms of the expectations that they have put on themselves, then they should not hire you. The way you frame this is very, very important. You don't want to say, well, I'm better than you and you need to leave up, live up to my expectations. You want to say, you need to live up to the expectations that are a part of your brand, your mission, your purpose, your contribution to the community. The expectations that you as the company have put on your website and that the public knows you for, if you can't live up to those expectations, you shouldn't hire me because that's why I want to work here. Great answer. And a great question. Give an example of when you had to work on a team. Yes, they are going to ask you as a PhD this question. And you need to discuss the cross-functional work you've done. As a PhD, you did not have authority over others in the lab or the classroom. Maybe loosely if you had an undergrad in that you were responsible for, but you were more in a, a mentorship position uh, as a TA or as a lab manager in any sort of capacity. Instead, you couldn't tell somebody, get this done or I'm going to fire you. They weren't your subordinate. Instead, you had to get things done with them through influence, through good communication. That's what they're looking for. And they want to know how you interact with others in a 360-degree format. So if you hear 360 or 360 format, what they mean is the people above you, your superiors, the people equal to you, the cross-functionally to you, your equals, and then again, people below you, your, your subordinates, people that you've mentored. So cover all three of those categories. Now, it might be a surprise to you that the average length of an in-person interview, if you get to a site visit, a lot of video interviews can be this long too, is about 45 minutes. It's a long time. If you have a full site visit, you could have up to 10 of those. However, studies show, and there's a lot of behavioral psychology studies, there's a lot of studies on first impressions, a lot of business studies. Uh, guess what? People get PhDs in organizational behavior and economics, different aspects of business. So there are a lot of peer-reviewed studies on interviewing, on first impressions. And those studies show that 
an interviewer will make up their initial decision whether or not to hire you or to recommend you for being hired hired within 90 seconds. 90 seconds. That is a very short amount of time. So what, what can come through in 90 seconds? Well, a lot in terms of your body language, your mannerisms, your certainty, your engagement, eye contact, all of those things that we uh, discussed previously or alluded to can come through. Now, we're not going to talk about the importance of eye contact here. We're going to talk about the questions. Now, the two questions you'll be asked in the first 90 seconds, the majority of the time, or how are you today? Now, you might think, well, certainly, Isaiah, there's no proper way to answer this. There's no data on this. There actually is. The worst thing you can do here is ramble, number one. Number two, say something negative. So many of us have a negativity bias. When we say, how are you today? We just don't even think about it. And we say, oh, I'm pretty good. You know, the kids didn't sleep well last night, so I didn't sleep that well, but doing okay. And we think somehow that's just small talk or we're chatting. You just introduced something negative. Their first impression of you is that you're a complainer and that you're going to bring up something negative. What a horrible way to start any interview. So how do you answer this? You don't ramble. You don't talk about what happened in your day. You don't give them anything to weed you out with, which is what they're doing, especially at the phone screen stage. Instead, you say, perfect. That's it. Very clean. Very easy to say. Not too high. Not too low. How are you today? Perfect. Thank you. How are you? Second question. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? This is how any interviewer, especially an inexperienced one, uh, especially somebody who's not a hiring manager, recruiter, somebody who just came out of doing their own work to interview you, which isn't really their job, but they just are doing it to help out the team, which happens very often during a site visit. They just got your resume that day, very likely, or they just pulled it up after getting it that week. They haven't even looked at your resume, so they ask you this question to buy themselves some time to go through your resume. So you can expect this question first, and then you can expect some uh, simple credibility questions where they're going to ask you questions about your resume. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Just del deliver your elevator pitch very cleanly here and have your elevator pitch answer three questions. Who are you? What do you want? And why should they care? Who are you should have a personal side to it too. Mention your background, but frame it within what the, the role is that you want to get into. Okay, so you could say I'm a you know, computational analytical uh, chemist, uh, I'm an immunology specialist, I'm a uh, social scientist, I'm a psychologist by training, uh, but I, spend, I like to spend time outdoors on the weekends, or I spend time with my kids on the weekends. You can mention something personal, not too personal, especially you know, anything outdoors, anything that's going to appeal to a broad swath of humanity, right? Spending time outdoors, hiking, uh, volunteering but have something specific if you say volunteering so it doesn't just say, seem like you're giving lip service. Okay, I like to volunteer at, at a local uh, community organization called XYZ. Or I like to uh, spend my time uh, practicing the guitar on the weekends. Or I like to spend my time uh, playing soccer with my kids on the weekends. Whatever it might be. And it's very simple and short. The second question that you need to answer in your elevator pitch is what do you want? You want that job. It's so easy to do an elevator pitch for an interview because you just say you want that job. And then why should they care? Why do you want that job? This is why, where you can introduce your rationale. You want that job so you can better humanity in some way, something that's bigger than yourself, not just for a bigger paycheck, right? Not just because you're amazing and you want to uh, hit every single goal the company has, but you want something bigger than yourself. Now, you can try to tie in the company's goals here. Um, you can say, 
I want to, I think I'm a perfect fit for XYZ position because I know I can help the company achieve XYZ goals that are going to better humanity, right? I think I can help uh, bring my scientific knowledge or my engineering knowledge or my, my technical knowledge or my humanities knowledge uh, and translate that into a product or treatment that helps people. So altogether, it might look like I'm an immunology specialist who enjoys hiking on the weekends when I have time. Um, I want to get into this R&D project management position because I've always wanted to take my technical skills and then translate them into a product or service that helps people. And I know that's this company's mission as well. And that was on the fly. If you write this down and practice it, it can be very short and it comes across how that you're certain that you know who you are, that they can trust you. You're conveying that certainty that is so important when it comes to hiring. So let's talk a little bit about the types of questions that you will be asked. There are four categories of questions that you will be asked, and you need to understand all four. Now, after those two initial questions or questions that are similar to them, as I mentioned, you'll be asked credibility questions. They'll look at your resume, and they'll ask you to clarify points on your resume. It says here that you've achieved XYZ result. Can you tell me a little bit about how you did that? They just want to get you, the job candidate, talking. They want to assess your technical skills, just at a very superficial level, they want to make sure that you're actually informed um, about your resume, that you remember writing your resume, that what's on it is true, that you can talk about it. They're looking for a lot of nonverbal cues here. They're, they're going to make eye contact. They're going to make sure that you're credible, that what you wrote down is true. So even the tell me a little bit about yourself question is a credibility type question. How long did you work at XYZ? Can you explain your responsibilities at XYZ? The second type of question, and they'll usually move here next, is an opinion question. What types of questions are these? What do you think are your greatest strengths and weaknesses? What types of leader uh, or what type of leadership do you prefer? What type of management do you prefer? What type of manager do you prefer? What would you do if you faced this type of situation? Right. So here they're assessing your transferable skills, and they're going to go deeply into your transferable skills from this point onward. So as soon as they start bringing up questions like, what's your biggest weakness, your strengths, your weaknesses, how would you do this? They're, they start asking opinion-based questions. They're looking for those transferable skills, and they want to know if you're going to fit in their culture. So keep culture top of mind, okay? Make sure you're ready to talk about strengths and weaknesses. If they ask for your biggest achievement, by the way, at this point, and that's a very common question, do not say your PhD, at least not by itself. Don't say something you've achieved on your own. Instead, talk about something you've achieved with others that has benefited humanity. For a PhD, it's very easy to say uh, something along the lines of, I'm, I'm most proud of the work that I was able to do with my colleagues in XYZ area because it really helped push the field forward in this way that led to discoveries, that led to treatments, or helped humanity in ABC way. The third type of question, behavioral questions. Dun, dun, dun. These are the intense questions, the challenging questions that are meant to elicit a stress response. Why, why are these questions so valuable now? Because employers, what they really wish is that they could hire you temporarily for a week or two, try you out, and then decide whether or not to hire you. They wish they could do this because you never really know who a person is until you see them under stress. That's when the real person comes out. So, they try to mimic that the best they can 
in a short amount of time by asking you very difficult questions and seeing how you handle them. They want to see how you react just to the question, to a stressful question. They want to see how you make decisions. And again, they're assessing at a much deeper level, level your transferable skills here. Can you tell me about a time when you had to deal with a stressful situation and how you coped with it? Can you talk me through a situation where you expected to follow a policy, where you were expected to follow a policy that you did not agree with? That's a tough one. Can you tell me about a situation where you had a conflict with your boss or supervisor? What did they do wrong? See how they're framing it? They're trying to encourage you to talk poorly about somebody. Don't take the bait. Very importantly, these, ne- these behavioral questions can be framed negatively or positively. You have to be prepared for both. Finally, if you get to this level, you will be asked competency questions. This is about the specific career path. So if you're trying to become a medical writer, you might have to do a medical writing test. If you want to be a data scientist, you might be given the standard take-home uh, exam where you might have to uh, do a little bit of coding or u- use a little bit of uh, SQL or Python. Depending on what the career path is, this is where they're going to test, let's say, for an R&D position. They might say, okay, you have these resources. We need to answer this question. How would you set up this experiment? They want to see if you have the required skills at this point. This means you're at the very tail end of the evaluation process. They're assessing your career-specific skills. One type of competency question that you'll be asked at the very end by almost every employer is, Do you have any questions for me? This is very important because we all know this question is coming, and somehow we fool ourselves into thinking that if we say something along the lines of, hmm, let me think. No, I I think you answered all of my questions already. Do, Do we really think that the other person is believing that somehow they magically happen to ask and answer all of the questions? that you had already written down somewhere else or had cataloged in your head. This shows a lack of competency. You need to have at least 10 questions written down with you on the phone screen and certainly during the site visit so they can see you open up a folder, look at the questions, and have one or two that they have not answered and ask those questions. You will stand head and shoulders above any other job candidate if you do that. So let's dig into some behavioral interview questions, and then let's talk about a framework of how to answer the questions. Here are the eight most common negative behavioral questions that you will be asked. Some of them we've discussed already in one form or another. Describe a time on any job that you held in which you were faced with problems or stresses that overwhelmed your coping skills. Here's the key. You want to acknowledge that you did face these difficult situations and that you rose to the occasion. You grew as a professional. You learned a lesson. Give me a specific example of a time when you had to conform to a policy with which you did not agree. You want to paint yourself as the person who did not understand the policy. You want to take responsibility. Do not paint somebody else or an organization as the bad guy here because what they're thinking is, Okay, if they're going to badmouth this person or this organization, they're definitely going to badmouth me or us in the future. Instead, say, well, there was a policy that I didn't understand about XYZ. And then once I uh, identified uh, my lack of understanding or, or, or the confusion or my concern, I went and I communicated that concern to management. Uh, I, I framed it as I was probably not seeing uh, something in the equation. 
and I asked them for clarification. They gave me clarification, and afterwards, I was able to see um, how that policy was absolutely needed, and I was able to get on board with it very quickly at that point. What do you do if you disagree with a client? No matter what position you're getting into, even if you're buried in a lab somewhere at a company, they want to know they can put you in front of a client. There might be a key client who's responsible for millions of dollars of revenue at that company, and that client needs to talk to the most technically skilled person who happens to be doing this experiment or this QA or whatever it might be, and that person's you, and they need to know that they can put you in front of that client. You're not going to embarrass them. So talk about a time when you've had to talk to somebody outside of your, your lab, your classroom, a, a poster session. What is your typical way of dealing with conflict? Give me an example. Talk about how you face stress and what you do to get over it. Keep coming back to communication. You communicate through the conflict to resolve it. You, cross, you, you set up collaborations cross-functionally to get through the conflict. You don't avoid it. You don't cause it. You work to go through it. Tell me about a situation where you had to deal with a very upset team member. You're going to get a question about your client-facing abilities, as we discussed, but also how to deal with an upset, not just client, but an upset internal team member. What do you do? Come back to communication. Come back to you trying to understand their perspective, their point of view. Perspective, point of view, bring those words up as much as possible when you get behavioral interview questions along with communication. Describe a time when you were wrong. I know it might be hard to believe, but you have been wrong. I've been wrong. Be able to talk about it. Admit it. That's what they're looking for here, that you can admit when you were wrong and how you've adjusted course since and you never made that same mistake in perspective or in understanding again. Tell me about a time when you made a mistake at work and how you resolved it. Same kind of answer. How have you handled a difficult situation with a supervisor? Again, you're seeing a theme here. You're seeing how to answer these as well. Now, here are the eight most common positive behavioral interview questions. Just because they're asking for a positive answer doesn't mean it's not a difficult question or they're, or they're judging your behavior. They are judging your behavior, even if it's a positive, positively framed question. And what I mean by that is your answer is going to have a positive tone. It's relating to a positive situation. Um, still, take these questions more seriously. Be able to identify them. Here's one. Describe a situation in which you were able to, to use persuasion to successfully convince someone to see things your way. This is what cross-functional collaboration is. Influence, persuasion, whatever. You showed them the data. How did you show them that you, your way was the right way? You don't say that, but you can say, well, first I, I appealed uh, to the evidence. Uh, I showed data that uh, drew XYZ conclusion, and then I backed it up with external references. Um, I listened to their side, and we were able to come together uh, and realize that uh, the data was correct, and it meant that we should take this uh, al alternative uh, path forward. Describe an instance when you had to think on your feet to quickly resolve a difficult situation. Uh, of course, you can go to any sort of classroom situation or lab meeting or journal club for this. Give me a specific example of a time you used good judgment and logic in solving a problem. This should be an easy answer for any PhD. Describe a time when you faced a stressful situation and demonstrated positive coping skills. See, it's the same questions as before, but they're framed more positively. Usually, you'll get these positive framed questions first, and then they'll get into the negatively framed questions, which are a bit more stressful because they have that negative component. Give me a recent example of how you helped a team member improve their coping skills. 
Tell me about the most difficult problem you solved last year. Give me an example of an important goal you set in the past and tell me uh, how you succeeded in reaching it. Talk about team-oriented things, things that you've done for the, the greater good of humanity. Provide an example of when you had to go above and beyond your normal duties in order to get the job done. This is crucial. They want to know that you're flexible during a recession. One of those key transferable skills we've discussed in previous radio shows is that you're flexible, adaptable. This reduces risk. So if they need you to go above and beyond in some area, you're willing to do it. All right, so you can get a lot of different questions, right? How do you answer all of these questions? How have I been answering them on the fly during this show? I'm using the STAR technique. Situation, task, action, result. Now, all of this means is that you have turned your answer into a mini story. Human beings learn in ter terms of stories. So when they go to the hiring committee after interviewing you, they're going to remember your answers because you frame them as stories instead of just simple yes, no, short answers, etc. Every single question can have a star answer. Now, if you don't like this acronym, there are others. In the management consulting industry, they use the SCR technique, right? which is called situation, complication, resolution. In the STAR methodology, it's situation, task, action, result. Task and action together equal a problem. That's the complication also in the SCR technique. So basically what you're doing is you're providing context, which can be as simple as two years ago in the classroom, two years ago in the lab or in my last role. That's all you have to do to turn your answer into a story, provide context. That's why every peer-reviewed journal article starts with the background, to provide context and significance. Then you move to the problem. In the start technology, the T is task, the A is action. You describe the problem and challenges and explain what you did to overcome them, ideally what you did with others to overcome them. So that's the complication in the SCR technique. And then finally, the R in STAR and the R in SCR are essentially the same results resolution. So how were things resolved? We've talked a lot about results being crucial in industry. You need to talk about the result. And the result can be a lesson you learned as well. What was the impact? Okay, so first state the solution, but you also need to state the impact, the lesson that you learned. How could you bring this together? Well, two years ago in the lab, uh, we were behind on a grant deadline. Right? So you have the situation there and the task um, or the, the complication, the problem. Uh, so you set up cross-functional collaborations with two other labs to get more experiments done. Uh, you added more authors or added those labs to the grant. And because of it, you were able to get the grant uh, in on time and you got the grant funded. And the impact of this was you, were you able to push the field forward in XYZ way that benefited humanity. This is how you answer questions at the interview stage. It's very important for you to be able to do this. As a bonus, I want to give you eight question types to ask so that when you are asked, do you have any questions for me? You don't say, well, you already answered all my questions and you don't ask things that don't matter. You show your business acumen at this time. I want you to ask questions on number one, hierarchy. Who will I be reporting to? Number two, mergers and acquisitions. What collaborations are underway? Number three, restructurings. How is the company being restructured? And it is in some way or you wouldn't be being hired. Career trajectory, where have others in this position gone? Emerging markets, where is the client base expanding? Sales and marketing, which products are creating growth? New products or projects, what new products or projects are coming out? And finally, corporate strategy, what are the company's one-year goals and five-year goals? They'll ask you that question. You should ask them as well and show that you're aligned 
with their goals. This takes us to the end of the radio show. As always, remember your value as a PhD and start thinking and acting like a successful industry professional. Are you worried about the rapidly shrinking job market? Like me, have you been seeing more and more articles on universities shutting down their research labs, furloughing employees, cutting postdocs and TAs, and even withdrawing PhD student funding? If so, it might be wise to start taking steps to protect your PhD career. You've worked very hard and very intelligently for years to establish yourself, but likely you have not reached your full career potential yet. Perhaps you're not even getting respect and you're not getting the rewards that you deserve. The good news is you can get into an industry career where you can get paid well for doing meaningful work. All you need is the right knowledge and the right network. The Cheeky Scientist Association gives you lifetime access to the world's number one PhD-only job search training platform with multiple courses and the PhD-only job referral network of over 10,000-plus industry PhDs. Now is your chance to become a lifetime member for 20% off of the association. Just use the coupon code CheekyRadio at www.phdsgethired.com. That's phdsgethired.com. P-H-D-S-G-E-T-H-I-R-E-D.com. Simply type phdsgethired.com into your website browser, scroll to the orange membership button, and click on it, then enter the coupon code CheekyRadio to get 20% off a lifetime membership now. No recurring monthly fees. No recurring annual fees. Nobody else offers this. PhDsGetHired.com. Use the coupon code CheekyRadio. Remember your value as a PhD. And remember that knowledge is power and your network is your net worth.